Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series that we're calling Whatever It Takes. Exactly two years ago, we did a series with the same name and talked about having a heart that was willing to do whatever the Lord would ask us to do. Completely yielded, completely surrendered, not just lip service, genuine servants, completely committed to the kingdom of God. To seek it first above anything else that it would be our primary pursuit to honor Jesus, to advance his kingdom. So we talked about that two years ago. One of the results of that series was us selling our old property, our old building, and purchasing an old toy store and fixing it up for it to be a place of ministry. We felt like God had dealt with our hearts to do that, took a huge step of faith. Some of the things that we thought God would do as we changed location, more visible, more accessible, some of those things we're seeing happen. Just last week after first service, I was standing in the lobby. I was talking to someone. I noticed a gentleman off to my side kind of waiting to talk. And when I turned to talk to him, he said, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to let you know, God, God really dealt with my heart this morning. I, I benefited. God, God was speaking to me. I just want to thank you so much for, for ministering this morning. I said, well, who are you? Where, where are you from? Tell me. And he said, well, listen, he told me his name. And he said, I was just up at the mall and I happened to be going by and I just felt like I should come in. And, and so we're having that, that, those kinds of stories all the time where God, God is using this location. He's, when we take steps of faith, he's faithful. He, he, doesn't just lead us in directions for no, for no reason, because there's fruit that he wants us to bear. So some of the things we thought, maybe these kinds of things would happen, are happening, and then other things that weren't even on our radar, like starting a school, we're seeing those things happen as well. So we started a series uh, a couple of weeks ago, kind of echoing some of the things from a couple of years ago. In that series two years ago, one of the things was challenging us to ask a question when it comes to our giving, what would be a pleasing sacrifice to the Lord? Lord, what, what would be a pleasing sacrifice to you? And we wanted to hear what God would say to us, and we wanted to obey. And we're doing something similar in this series. I've been challenging you to, to pray, to listen, to obey. We've been talking about plowing our hearts and then watch as God wows us with his faithfulness, wows us with, with results. And so we started looking at the life of Abraham at this point in time called Abram, where we are in the story. In Genesis chapter 12, we started there and talked about how God asked Abram to take an enormous step of faith, to leave everything he knew, to, to go to a place that God was going to show him. And Abraham responded in faith. And we talked about how faith is demonstrated through obedience, not just theological or theoretical faith, not just a belief system, but acting on it, actually obeying. We talked about that and how it's God's desire for Abraham, not, not just to have him jump through a series of hoops. God's desire when he asked him to take a step of faith was that he wanted to bless him and make him a blessing. That's what God's heart was. And it's the same way with me and with you and with our church family. When God asks us to take steps of faith, when we respond in obedience, what he's after is an opportunity to bless you, to bless us, and to make us a blessing. That's his heart. God wants to bless you and make you a blessing. Last week, if you were here, we talked about the importance of decision-making, how we make decisions. The way you make decisions is enormously important. It affects literally every area of your life. And we looked at Abram and Lot in Genesis chapter 13, and they were faced with a decision. And the way they went about making that decision, it revealed what kind of men they were. It revealed what they valued. It revealed where their trust really was. And that's what decisions do. Decisions bring to the surface, it brings revelation of what kind of man or woman you are and where your trust really is really is. And when Abram had to make the decision, the land couldn't hold all of their livestock and their herds, and they just had too many uh, possessions, so they had to split up. Abram initiated the decision-making and said, listen, you choose. You look around. You decide what you want. You want to go left? Then I'll go right. 
If you want to go right, then I'll go left. It really doesn't matter to me. You just go wherever you want, and I'll go the opposite direction. And the way that he handled that decision, he was revealing his heart to put others first, to be generous, you, you before me, but also in that decision, it revealed where his trust was, that his trust was not in having the greenest grass and the most well-watered land and the richest soil. He knew his blessing didn't come from those things. He knew God was his source. God, as long as I stay linked to you and honoring you, that's where my blessing comes from. That's how Abraham made that decision. But Lot was different. He looked around and he made the decision based on sight. Where's the greenest grass? How am I gonna cash in the quickest? What's gonna profit me immediately? And that's how he made his decision. And the other thing that we talked about was decisions always have consequences or results. There's always something that comes out of the decision that you make. That's why it's so important how we make the decision. It's not just a momentary thing. There's lasting results, either good or bad. And with Lot, it says that he made that decision and moved towards the greener grass, but it was in the direction of Sodom, and Sodom was a place of wickedness. So when he was walking by sight, walking by greed, walking by the natural and material things, a step in that direction was a step towards wickedness. And you can look at the rest of his life and how things went for him. That decision cost him his destiny. It cost him all of his possessions, his home, the things that he was trying to get his hands on. It cost him all those. It cost his, his family, his daughters. It cost him his wife. There were huge consequences to that decision. And for Abraham, he made that decision, Lord, I continue to put my trust in you. You're my source. You are my portion. And his life was just continuous blessing, and he fulfilled his destiny. And you can, you can trace their lives back from where they ended, trace them back to this moment where this decision was made, not just what decision was made, but how it was made, walking in faith, walking and trusting in God, or walking by sight, walking according to the natural things. God was leading and guiding Abram. There's a passage in Proverbs chapter 3 that I want to look at this morning where you can see these principles just spelled out very clearly. In fact, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. For a lot of us, these are, are familiar verses, and we'll just kind of work our way through it a little bit. Proverbs chapter 3, we'll start with verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. So one of the things right off the bat, it's telling us when we engage with God, when it comes to our trust, our faith in him, what's God looking for? He wants us to trust him with all of our heart. It's, it's talking about complete surrender. I'm all the way in. I trust you with my entire heart. That kind of phrase, that language is used throughout the Bible. God wants all of you. He wants your entire heart, not little portions and sections of time, your devo time in the morning. He wants all of your heart. God said, you'll search for me and you'll find me when you search with what? With all of your heart. We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart all of our mind, all of our strength. He wants it in entirety. And he sets up like a, a dichotomy in this verse to trust in the Lord with the entirety of your heart, but don't lean on your own understanding. So a, a dichotomy between our heads and our hearts or between the spirit man and the natural man. Don't lean, don't trust on your own understanding. Instead, trust God with all of your heart. Next verse, verse six. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. In all of your ways, again, entirety. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And what does it mean to acknowledge God? Well, when you don't acknowledge someone, what do you do? You act like they're not there, right? If you've ever been to someone's house, been to a party, been someplace where someone doesn't even recognize you, they don't say hello, they don't interact with you, they treat you like you're not even there, and you'll say, man, that, that guy didn't even acknowledge me. She didn't even acknowledge me. Or in traffic, you come to an intersection, they didn't even acknowledge I was coming to this yield sign. They're acting like you're not even there. So if we're going to acknowledge God in all of our ways, then all of our ways, you can see a reference. I'm, 
God exists. He's with me. There's no way that I have that isn't referencing God or seeking to honor him in some way. All of our ways, not sectioning off certain parts of our life, Friday nights with our friends, out with the guys, the mindset where people say things like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, that we've got secret compartments where we can do whatever we want. And then we've got time on Sunday mornings, times where we honor God and we're with our Christian friends. And then sometimes you just have to no, acknowledge him in all of our ways and look at the promise attached with this. If I'll trust God with all of my heart, not lean to my own understanding, if I'll acknowledge him in all of my ways, what will he do? He will direct my paths. God will direct your path. Some translations say he'll make your paths straight. Think about that. It's talking about guiding, directing, straightening, preparing. Imagine facing every day, facing your future, facing from this point moving forward with a confidence that God is the one guiding and directing and straightening and preparing the way before you. That's something they would do when they'd bring somebody important through on, on the roads back then in a carriage or whatever they were riding in. They would send out a crew of people to, to straighten the path. Some translations say to smooth it out to make sure there's no rocks, get the rocks out of the way, to fill in any ruts, if there's trees or limbs, to clear it out of the way so it will be smooth. It has to do with preparing before someone comes through. Imagine starting your day going into a meeting, going into uh, work, whatever you're facing, knowing that God has already gone before you into that situation and he's, he's smoothing things out for you so you can go through your day stress-free, trusting in him the whole way. God will straighten your paths. You know, we use the word straighten sometimes at our house. We talk about cleaning a room, straightening it up. So we have a connect group that meets at our house. And when we know there's people coming over to our house, you know what it's time to do? It's time to clean. We got to get this place looking better than it does when it's just us here. So we'll start, we'll start straightening up. And when I say we, I primarily mean my, my wife and my daughters. We'll start straightening things up. They'll straighten it up. And as they are straightening the room, straightening the house, straightening the living room, straightening their bedrooms, what, what are they doing? They're preparing it. They're getting it ready. This, this room, this house has been straightened. Why? So that people can come and enjoy themselves. I, we've prepared it for their entry. This is saying that that's the way God will treat the path of your life. He'll prepare it for you. He'll get things ready. If you'll acknowledge him in all of your ways, if you'll really trust him with all of your heart, if you won't lean to your own understanding, and just trust the heart of God with your heart, he will straighten your path. He'll prepare it for you. When you step into that meeting, you know God's already dealt with that person. You don't have to force anything. Open up doors for you, close doors for you. He's guiding and straightening. You know, the word straighten also references making sure that you're making steady progress towards your goal. Making sure you're making progress. You know, you have a destiny. That God, God has designed good works in advance for you to do. You're not just here to figure things out. The Bible says God knew your days while you were still being formed in your mother's womb. That you have a specific destiny of fruit God wants you to bear and he will straighten your path. He'll make sure that you're not taking wrong turns. That you'll get to where you're supposed to be and you'll reach your potential. It's like what Jesus said in John 15. That our, his father is a good gardener. He prunes branches that need to be pruned. He helps that plant, helps that vine, helps those branches reach their full potential. When things need to be cleared out of the way, he clears them out of the way. He prunes and directs and nourishes. He's a good gardener. He does that with the path of our life to make sure you don't miss a thing, to make sure you don't veer off, just like he did in Abram's life, to make sure Abram was the man that he was called to be and bore the fruit that God wanted him to bear. If we'll acknowledge him in all of our ways. Next verse, verse seven. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes. It's talking about arrogance and pride. Thinking that you know what's best. Just going by sight. This is what, what Lot did. He thought he was wise in making the decisions. Just to, didn't, didn't consult with God. Just was wise in his own eyes. He, he did veer off. His path wasn't straight. He took a wrong turn that landed him eventually without a wife with his daughters in a cave getting drunk. Missed his destiny. He took a wrong turn. He was wise in his own eyes. Verse eight, it will be 
health to your flesh and strength to your bones. We've been talking about decisions have consequences, either good or bad. You choose to trust God and acknowledge him, it's going to benefit you. There are rich benefits to it. Verse nine, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Don't miss the progression in these verses. He's talking to us about trusting God with all of our heart. He's talking about acknowledging God with all of our ways. He's talking about not leaning on our own understanding, not being wise by the way you think things are best, and then immediately starts dealing with how we handle our wealth. These aren't separate issues. He's building. He's, He's teaching and training bringing instruction and bringing us to this point. Because when you talk about wealth, how we handle wealth, it's like a training ground. That you can see people's heart by how they handle their money. It's why people say, let me see your checking account and where your money goes and I'll know what really matters to you. You can say whatever you want and sound impressive, but when I see where your money goes and how you spend your money, then I'll know what what your heart is really like. So if we can nod in agreement to these verses, trust in the Lord with all your heart, amen. Lean not into your own understanding. Okay, that's awesome. Acknowledge him in all of our ways. Yes, he'll direct my path. Praise God. But when we start talking about money, if we take a step back, we've we've got a problem. If I can't honor him in that area of my life, it reveals that really I'm only honoring him at a surface level. Yes, I'll honor him. I want him to direct my path. I'll trust him when it comes to, you know, work and relationships and those kinds of things. When you start talking about my money, no, that's off limits. Now, Now we're talking about heart issues. He's building us to that point and he knows if he can get us to honor God and trust him and not lean on our own understanding at this level, then he's used, he's used how we handle money to ingrain trusting God and acknowledging, to ingrain it at the core of who we are in our, in our hearts. And if that's an area, I, mean, I, I don't know I can really follow that instruction at that level, then it brings revelation that we're superficial in our trust for God. We're operating as shallow believers if I can only do it to other things, but not when it comes to my finances. When it comes to my money, I can honor God or not honor God. We want to honor the Lord, amen? I want to honor God. I want to honor him. And how I handle my money is one of the ways that I either honor him or I dishonor him. We want to honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth. So what does that look like? Well, if you are a parent, this is a a time, an area that being a parent gives you perspective. You can understand some of God's ways in scripture by analyzing your own experience. I am, I am a father and I want to honor my heavenly father so I can think about my kids and things they do that either make me feel honored or make me feel less than honored. When I give my kids instructions over the years, I've had a variety of responses. If I ask them to do something, one of the responses, maybe you can relate to some of these, tell my kids to do something and they'll say something like, can I just finish this game first? Can I, can I, maybe later, after this is over, at the end of the movie, how about tomorrow? Maybe another time could I do that? So that's one of the responses. Maybe you've heard something along those lines that I get. Sometimes you might just get the response. They're just clear about it. They say, they say no. And then you've got you know, other things to, to deal with. That's, that's a possible response. Another response is that they do it they don't really do it the way that you wanted it done, right? They just kind of go through the motions. Hey, would you please sweep this floor? And they just kind of drag the broom around for a second. There's still, you know, dirt all over the floor. So they've done it, but not the way that you wanted it done. Or you can give them instruction and they start to bring other people into the equation. What about her? How come you never ask her? How come you ask me to do it? Why? I always do it. She never does it. And they start kind of weaving other people into what you've asked ask them to do. So all all kinds of responses. If you're a parent, you've got stories of different responses you've had. My experience has been when I feel most honored is when my kids do what I want, when I want it done, and how I want it done. Amen? I hope kids are taking notes. My kids specifically. I feel honored when my kids do what, what I want them to do, when I want them to do it, and how I want them to do it. So we're asking the question, if I can honor God in my wealth, 
And, and look, look, there's, there's results to this as well, right? All of our decisions have results. The results are my barn will be filled with abundance. My vats will be overflowing. That, that's blessed to be a blessing. When you've got stuff overflowing, you can't help but be a blessing because it's got to go somewhere. I've got I've to start giving stuff away because I, I don't even have room for everything. My, my barns will be filled. My vats will be overflowing. That's the result if I can, if I can honor God in my, in my wealth. So when it comes to God, when I want to give what he wants, when, when he wants it, and how, and how he wants it, right? Let's read one more verse before we jump to the life of, of Abram again. Verse 11. It says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you. Again, don't miss the progression of these verses and how they fit together. They're all so good that it's easy to take one and just dwell on it, and we should do that. But sometimes it's good to take a step back and see the entirety of, of what's being said here. So he's talked about trusting God, acknowledge him in all of your ways, trust him with all of your heart. Then he brings finances into the picture, and he says, don't, don't reject or don't despise. Don't resent the Lord's discipline. Now, what's discipline? Discipline is when someone tells you you're doing something that you need to stop doing or there's something that you're not doing that you need to start doing. When they tell you there's a better way, you're doing it wrong, they bring correction, right? Those are all ways that we experience discipline. No, don't do it like that. You need to do it like this. You need to start doing this. No, change all that. Stop that. That's discipline, correction. Or we, we discipline ourselves like with exercise or eating. We don't just do what feels best or what we want to do. When we discipline ourselves, I want to do that, but I know this is best, so I'm going to do it instead of what I want to do. So we're talking about discipline. That's what we're talking about. And it says, don't resent the Lord's discipline. Why, why should we not resent the Lord's discipline? See, he disciplines us to show us that there's a better way, that there's improvements that can be made. That we, he's, he's bringing correction, and we shouldn't resent it. You know, with my, my kids, I'm blessed. I've got four daughters that are great. They are a blessing. They're wonderful, great girls. But there's times where they need correction. They need discipline. And if you've ever been in a situation, I've had these situations where I'm disciplining one of my daughters and I can tell as I'm, as I'm talking to her, as I'm trying to correct and bring discipline, sometimes you, you can see a look in their eye. That they, they feel like I'm against them. They feel like I'm, I'm doing something to be mean to them, like I'm hurting them, like it's, it's them versus me and I'm, I'm just angry and mean. And when I see that or sense that, it's one of the most heartbreaking things because I want them to trust. The, the only reason we're having this conversation is because I want what's best for you. Nobody wants what's best for you. Like, I, I'm your dad. I want what's best for you. If there's a bet, you've got to stop doing it that way. You need to start doing it this way. You need to change this. You need to bring this into the equation. You've got to start thinking differently, behaving differently, talking differently. I'm telling you this because I want what is best for you. And it breaks my heart when I see them resent or reject to despise my discipline. The only reason I'm doing it is for, to bless them. If they'll listen, it'll be a blessing. And the Holy Spirit, writing this passage of Scripture, knows, and we talk about trusting God and honoring God, and then you bring finances into the picture, you're going to have people that resent discipline, being told what to do, how to do it. There's a better way. People will resent it. People will reject it. But don't. God is only telling us these things to bless us and to put us in a better position, to teach us things. I know there's people that don't like when we talk about money, but there's something so much deeper than money. People that want this series to be over, can we just get to the next thing? But what we're talking about has the ability to break people out of living with stress and anxiety and clinging to material things. We're talking about launching people into freedom and peace and joy. So it's not about money. It's a, it's a training ground for discipleship and putting our trust in the Lord and moving, moving from superficial levels of honoring God to heart levels of genuinely honoring God. And when you get people there, you get them to a place of blessing 
Don't resent. Don't, don't reject. Don't despise the Lord's discipline, instruction, telling us how we should handle things in this area. It's all for our own, it's all for our own good. We've we got to trust him in all of our ways, with all of our heart, acknowledge him in all of our ways, and this is one of those areas. That's why we want to have a culture in our church family. And for the most part, we really do. Where we can talk about money and people don't get upset. We have a generous group of people. We know it's an honor to give to the Lord. It's pleasing to honor the Lord with our finances. It's one of our values. We give. We're just generous people. Generous church made up of generous men and women. We give. Jesus gave his best. We will too. When you talk about money, people will accuse you of being shallow when really you're being deep. Oh, you're just being shallow, dealing with surface stuff. No, actually, we're dealing with heart issues. And the reason you're rejecting it is because you want to stay at shallow levels and you don't want to plunge down to where real-life decisions have to be made. So they'll try to turn it around and accuse us of being shallow for talking about money, but really we're talking about one, one, something that represents the core of who we are and reveals so much about us. Don't reject his discipline. God wants to guide us and direct us, straighten our, our paths. And this is one of the areas where we set ourselves up for that kind of blessing. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 14. We want to honor God. We want to honor the Lord. How do we honor the Lord when it comes to our wealth? By giving him what he wants, when he wants it, how he wants it. Give him what he wants. When he wants it and how he wants it. Genesis chapter 14 some time has elapsed from where we talked about last week. Lot, in the story we looked at last week, took a step towards Sodom. What we're going to look at today, he's, he's moved all the way in. He's living in Sodom. And there were a group of kings, four kings, that united together to go and attack Sodom and some of the other area around where Sodom was located. And so they band together and they came and they attacked that region and they were victorious. They, they defeated those, those areas, took the people, took the goods <clears throat> and left with them. And in that group of people was Lot and his family and all that belonged to them, all of their possessions. So now they are prisoners of war being carried away by these kings. But one of Lot's servants escapes and somehow goes and finds Abram and lets him know, hey, this is what happened. These four kings brought their armies, all four of them together, and they came, they defeated us. Sodom was in the part of the group of cities that got defeated. They're carrying everyone away, all of the goods, the spoils of war, they've taken everything. And your nephew Lot and his family were in that group. Well, Abram at this point, he was 75 when he left home. So now he's probably in his 80s somewhere. We're not told exactly, but it's probably been several years. We know he's older than 75. You know what he decides to do? He decides to get his men and go after these, these four kings. And the Bible says that he has 300, 318 men. They ride on camels or donkeys. I, I don't know, but they, they band together. I don't know if they're all like in his age range or not. Just a bunch of elderly gentlemen on camels trotting through the, the wilderness. But they're, they're on their way after these four kings and they actually defeat these four armies that just defeated all these cities. Somehow they're able to defeat these armies. They get all of the people of Sodom, all of the goods, and they're headed back to let people go back to their city. And that's where we'll pick things up. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. It says, and the king of Sodom went out to meet him. Abram's coming back from this victory. King of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Kedarlamer and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. So the king of Sodom goes out to meet him, and then this other king goes out to meet him, King Melchizedek. And if you read in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, Starting in chapter 7, it will start talking about Melchizedek and tell us how he, he was a type of Jesus. He was a foreshadowing of Christ. So we see a picture of Jesus in King Melchizedek. He was the king of Salem, which means he's the king of peace. His name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. So we have this type of Jesus. He's also the high priest of, of God. 
He's a priest and he's a king. And he comes out and he meets Abram. And what's he bring with him? Brings bread and wine. What's that a picture of? Jesus comes out to him and serves a a communion meal. You see the communion meal and Jesus coming out to him. Verse 19, it says, And he, Melchizedek, blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him, Abram gave Melchizedek, a tithe of all. So Abram is riding back home. King of Sodom comes out. Melchizedek comes out, brings out bread and wine, and then begins to bless Abram. And it says, then Abram responded by giving all the spoils of war, brought a tithe or 10% of all that he had and gave it to this type of Jesus. Now we're talking about a tithe. And I know when we talk about tithing, some people's go-to response is that that was part of the law and we're no longer under the law. Well, you're right that we're no longer under the law, but this is hundreds of years before God ever gave Moses the law. And we're seeing a tithe and it's a tithing to Jesus, a type of Christ, which is talked about in in Hebrews. So we have Jesus, which is post-law and Abram doing this pre-law. So tithe is part of law, yes, but that's not where it's limited to. So he brings them a tithe. Now, the question that we're trying to answer is how do I honor God with my wealth? God wants, giving him what he wants, when he wants it, how he wants it. So what, what does God want? What does he want us to give? I've set you up to answer tithe, but I've set you up for the wrong answer. God wants, God wants all of you. God's not looking for 10%. God wants all of you. That's what we talked about back in Proverbs chapter three. With all of my heart, with all that I am, God wants you in your entirety. Everything that you are, he wants it all, but a tithe is a representative portion that when we give him the tithe, it lets him know you have all that I am. Listen, listen to this blessing that Melchizedek pronounces over Abram and what he acknowledges. Again, he says, blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. It's an acknowledgement that the victory that you've just won, all those spoils that are, are piled up behind you, that's the result of God's hand upon you. God's the one that's blessed you, gave you the strength, gave you the victory, gave you all of your supply. And so when Abram responds by bringing 10%, what he's acknowledging is not that God is responsible for 10% of the victory. He's not saying, yeah, God did play a part. It was like 90% me and then 10% God, you know, he... He did chip in. That 10% was an acknowledgement. You're absolutely, everything, it's all by the hand of God. Everything that I have is because of God. And I bring that tithe as a representative portion. He was giving God credit for all of it. How did he give God credit that he has all of it? By bringing a tithe or 10%. Have you ever had somebody take credit for something that was yours? Something that you did? When somebody else took that credit, how did it make you feel? Usually it's not a pleasing feeling. I don't have a whole lot for other people to take credit for. I've had a couple of okay ideas. I've had some people that I've shared my ideas with and then later hear them sharing that idea as if it was their own. I thought, wait a minute. It was my idea. I, t- I told you that. that you, want, you want to be ignored. I just want credit for the idea, right? You get frustrated, a little aggravated when someone's taking credit for something that you did or an idea that, that you had. So when, when we honor God with the tithe, we're, we're giving him credit. And when we don't honor him, we're taking credit for it all. I did this. This is all mine. This is the result of my strength, my might, my ability. I figured it all out. And when you take credit for it, along with the credit, comes the weight of responsibility. And some people 
carries so much responsibility and stress and such a burden because if you're responsible, you're taking credit for it, you also have the pressure of sustaining it and reproducing it and, and keeping it going. It wears people out, keeps people up in the middle of the night, stressed. But if you give God credit, along with credit goes the responsibility. God, you're the one that brought this about in the first place. I honor you and give you credit. So I, I cast all of my cares on you. You did it in the first place. You have the ability to sustain it. It's not on me. It all belongs to you. And I declare it's all yours. And the way that I do that is by bringing, by bringing the tithe. What, what does God want? He wants all of you, all of me. And the way that I represent that he is all of me is by being faithful with the tithe. You know, I shared this Wednesday night, if you were here for everyone night, but I want to briefly look at it again. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says, Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat, and built a tower. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent them another servant, and at him they threw stones, wounded him in the head, and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, he sent another, and him they killed, and many others, beating some and killing some. Therefore, still having one son, his beloved, he also sent him to them last, saying, they will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they, killed, they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. Now, in this parable, at a primary level, Jesus is talking about the Jewish people and how he sent them servants. He sent them prophets, and they've, they've rejected some. He sent more prophets. They killed some of them. They, they rejected people that he sent to minister to them. And eventually, he sent his own son. And he's prophesying how they're going to treat him, that they're, they're going to kill him. So that, that's the primary understanding of this. But in this parable, there are principles that we can apply when it comes to our tithe and our offering. The people living in this vineyard, it didn't belong to them. It belonged to the master. It was said that he's the one that owned the land. He's the one that built the tower. He's the one that planted the vineyard. He's the one that dug the wine vat. It was, it was all his. You with me? 100% of it was his. The people who were living there, getting to enjoy it, getting to work the vines, eat the grapes, be in the tower, live in the house, enjoy, enjoy the grounds, they, they were just stewards. And when the master sent and requested a portion, that was their opportunity either to acknowledge his ownership or to deny him ownership. If they, if they would have given him the portion he would have requested, it wasn't about the portion of grapes or the, the, the bottle of wine or, or whatever portion he was requesting. It was an acknowledgement. What, what do you want? Of course you can have it. It's all, it's all yours. I'm, I'm living in your house. I'm living on your land. These are your vines that I'm working. So you tell me what you want and you can have whatever. Why? Because it's all yours. It all belongs to you. But when he requested a portion and they said no, it wasn't just about the master not getting the, the wine or the grapes that he wanted. It was a denial. That this, none of this is yours. This is ours. We staked our claim to it. And it is about ownership. That's why they killed the son. We'll get the inheritance for ourselves. So that is the issue being dealt with. Whether this is, this is mine or an acknowledgement that it all belongs to the Lord. That, that representative portion isn't just about the 10%. Let, let the master request whatever he wants. 
And when I respond obediently, it's an acknowledgement. God, God, everything I have is yours. It's all become, I'm living in your house. I'm living on your ground. The, everything that I have, the strength, the understanding, even to go to work, the breath in my lungs, everything I have is from you, master. And so when you make a request for a portion, whatever portion it is, I give it willingly, obediently, joyfully, because everything, everything I have is yours. And when we deny him that portion, it's not just about the portion. It's about ownership. No, it's mine, mine. I'll decide. What, what does God want? If I want to honor him with my wealth, he, he wants you. It's you, that's what he wants. Your treasure and your heart are tied together. Why give him a representative portion? God, you, you have my heart. You have all that I am. I'm yours, God. I am yours. What does he want? You, represented with 10% as a tithe. When does he want it? He wants it first. He wants it first. He wants the best portion. If we want to honor him, then he goes first. Dave Ramsey, if you've ever gone through his material, does a great job at helping people with their budgets because usually people will put their, their mortgage and their groceries and the electric bill and clothing and entertainment, all, all of the things listed out and down at the bottom. If there's anything left over, then maybe we might, maybe give to the Lord and honor him. He says, no, take that and put it up the, the very number one thing. First, first thing, God, God, you get the first. If I don't get to pay my mortgage, I don't get to pay my mortgage, but I will honor you with, with the very first, the best portion. That you, when you want to honor somebody, they go first. When you open up a door for somebody, what are you, uh, no, after you. What are you doing? You're honoring them. We have people over to our home, try to teach our kids. Now, if we're, if we're gonna eat something, no, you don't shove ahead. We have guests. How do we honor them? No, you, you guys go first. Go ahead. After you, we're showing honor. So God, God goes first. He gets the, the, the best portion, first place. What's he want? All of me, represented by 10%. When does he want it? Not, not scraps, not leftover, not, we'll see. Read Malachi chapter one, see how God feels about getting scraps. How does he want it? He wants it from the heart. He wants it from our hearts. That's, that's why we're praying these things through. I've been challenging, we're, we're plowing our hearts. We're praying about, not thinking about it, not calculating it. We're not thinking it through, we're, we're praying it through. That when we give to the Lord, it comes from a place of thankfulness. It comes from a place of faithfulness, a place of trust, a place of love, a joyful giver. I'm giving not out of obligation. It's coming from, that's what he wants. He wants it from our hearts. God, what a joy it is to give to you. You're such a good provider. All of my trust is in you so I can willingly obey. That's why I gave you those levels last week and asked you to be thinking about where you are and what, what a next step would be for you. And when we talk about money, how it's tied in with discipleship, growing in the Lord. That's why the enemy fights, fights the church on this, one of the many reasons, because he can stagnate people in their growth. They can get them to buy into a, a shallow way of thinking about finances. You can see people's place of discipleship by how they manage what they've been entrusted with them. So I gave you levels to think about. The first level where people start off thinking about their stuff, the, the lens that they see life through is, what do I do with my stuff? What should I do with my stuff? Level one, we said. What do I do with my stuff? That's how they think. That's how they handle their money, handle their possessions, handle their time. But then maybe they get saved or in their, their walk with the Lord, they're growing, they're being discipled, they're learning. Wait a minute, I'm actually a steward and everything belongs to God. It's all his and he's entrusted me with it. So they move from thinking, what do I do with my stuff? And they take a step. They're, they're moving, they're progressing. They start thinking, actually, what, what should I do with God's stuff? It's, it's not mine, right? That, that's progression, right? They're They're growing. Their, their mindset, the lens that they're seeing things through is changing. Now, what do I do with my stuff? I'm growing. What should I do with God's stuff? That's progress. That's good. But then they can take another step and they can start to think, well, if it is, if it's God's stuff, maybe he has some input on what I do with it since it's, since it's his. And then my thinking changes to what would God have me do with God's stuff? 
what do I do with God's stuff? It's yours. What do you want me? That's what we've been challenging. God, what would you have me do? Lord, it's all, it's all yours. So you're seeing progress in the way that we manage what God has entrusted us. Then there's a, another level to go to, that we move from just managing to being generous, looking for opportunities to give, that overflow mentality. God, use me. Let me be a giver. And so we start thinking. I move from that level to a higher level of what would God have me give? God, where do you want me to give? Where can I be a blessing? What should I give from what you've provided for me and my family? Then there's a, another level to go. It's complete surrender. Instead of what, what should I give from what you've provided for me, what should I keep? Instead of thinking, oh, I'm going to give 10%, a, a mindset of, Lord, if you tell me to keep 10%, and the rest belongs to you. What, what little portion do you want me to hold on to? Just, I, I want to be a giver. See the progression, how we handle our money. It's discipleship. It's my, not just how I, I balance my checkbook. It's, it's how I view life and whether I, how I, I steward what God has put in my hand. So I've been, I've been challenging you guys to pray, listen, and then we're going to obey what God lays on our hearts. My wife and I have been doing this, been praying, God, what would you have me give? Father, what step would you have me take? Because we're all at different places. What would be a step forward in this next year? We get ready to go into another year. What would be a step forward for you and your family? We've been talking about it, praying about it, talked about it yesterday. So we feel like this next year, God would have us give 20%. That's what he would have us give. Now, the reason I'm, I'm sharing that, I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to lead you. Part of my job is to go first. Leaders, leaders go first. I want to be a good example. Again, so maybe that, maybe that number's impressive. Maybe it's not. That's not what I'm trying to do. That's why I gave a percentage, not a dollar amount. You share a dollar amount, and some people would say, that's a lot of money. And some people would say, you got to be kidding me. That's not very much money. So just, I'm just sharing. I mean this. We're, we're doing it. We're, we're, we're living it out. We're applying it. So this next year, I've been tithing since I was like you know, getting birthday checks from my grandma. So, so continuing the tide doesn't, doesn't show much progression. But I, I want to I grow. I, I want to move forward. If there's a higher place, I, I want to go there. So Lord, what would you have me give? What's the next step for me? I want to listen. When I hear, I, I want to I obey. And I know I get to look forward to watching God wow me with his faithfulness, his, his, his blessing, his hand upon me. So I want you to be doing this two weeks from today. We're going to have a commitment Sunday as we go into next year. In your bulletin this morning, if you grabbed one, there were these commitment cards that you can look at, hold on to, be praying over. We'll have more that Sunday. But even on there is the, the giving ladder that we always have on the back of the bulletin. At some point, you've got to be a first-time giver, then become an occasional giver, probably missing a step to being a, a consistent giver. Maybe you hit those points before you step into tithing. There's, there's progression happening before you step in to, to 10%. Then you can move from 10%. Lord, I'm tithing. What about an offering? What about above and beyond? What, what can I bring you? That I don't know where you are, but what would be a next step in that journey on that giving ladder as you make progress thinking through those things? So I want you to be praying about it with your family, with your spouse, and be ready to make a commitment on the 24th. If you look at the card, sometimes people have stocks or possessions. We've had people donate all kinds of things, jewelry, vehicles. So if that, that's something the Lord would lay on your heart, you can do that as well. But we want to be ready on the 24th, two weeks from today, to have that commitment Sunday and make those commitments before the Lord. I want to take a couple of minutes this morning just to yield our hearts to the Lord. God, you have all, I don't want it to be just lip service. I don't want to just say, God, you have, you have all that I am. I want to be able to act, speak to my heart. I want to be completely yielded. So let, let me tell one quick story, and then we'll just take a couple minutes just to be in God's presence and let him deal with our hearts. We recommit ourselves to him. You've probably heard about a tightrope walker in the 1800s by the name of Charles Blondine. He was worldwide famous for walking on tightropes. He would travel all over the world and do it. But he was most famous for taking a tightrope and putting it over the Niagara Falls and walking back and forth, the big, the big stick. You can Google it, find old pictures of him walking across the Niagara Falls. And so he would, he would walk across that tightrope. It was 160 feet above the water. 
And it was 1,100 feet long. So he'd walk 1,100 feet elevated in the air on a, on a rope. And he would do that and people would gather and they, they would cheer and they'd be amazed at this man going back and forth. But then he would, he would continue to fascinate the crowd and kind of up the ante. One time he went across on stilts, walking on stilts on, on a little rope like that. One time he carried a table and a chair out to the middle of the rope, somehow balanced that and sat on the rope and ate a piece of cake and had a drink out, out in the middle, suspended 160 feet up, just balancing. One time he took a small oven and a skillet and some eggs and he went out to the middle of that rope and sat, cracked the eggs, cooked himself an omelet, suspended on a rope above the Niagara Falls. So he would do all kinds of things and the people would cheer, but maybe the most famous time he went across was the time that he went with a wheelbarrow and I, I happened to have one. It's completely spotless, which lets you know how much yard work I do. So he, he took a, a wheelbarrow across this a rope, which I, if you've ever operated a wheelbarrow, maybe you'll get good at it. I don't know. But it's always kind of wonky because the, the wheel's round and, you know, it's always wobbling one way or the other. So on flat ground, it's doing that. I can't imagine trying to keep that, that wheel on, on a rope going across, going across a rope over the Niagara Falls. But he did that, and he, he got back across, went the 1,100 feet, came the 1,100 feet back. He was successful. The people are, are, are cheering. They're excited. And he said, oh, oh, okay. He's always wanting to up things. He said, how many of you believe that I can do it again and have a man inside of the wheelbarrow and go back? And everyone started cheering. They were, they were shouting, we believe, we believe, we believe you can do it. He said, okay, all right, let's do it. All we need is a, a man to put in the wheelbarrow. Who wants to get in? They're, they're shouting, I believe, I, I believe. And all of a sudden, they got sheepish and didn't want to make eye contact and the hands, hands went, went down because it was one thing to be shouting, we believe, we believe, but a whole nother thing to actually put yourself in the wheelbarrow. And I know it's an illustration that's probably very overused, but I think it's powerful when we think about the, not, not a wheelbarrow, but putting ourselves genuinely in the hands of God. Because it's one thing to say, I, yes, I believe God's faithful. Yes, I believe, amen, he is my provider. I believe, how many of you believe that we should obey what God tells us to do. I believe, I believe, but it's one thing to say that and another thing to actually put yourself in the hands of God and act on what we say that we believe. Yes, I believe he's my provider and whatever he tells me to do, he just wants to bless me and make me a blessing and lead me and guide me. I can trust him with all of my heart. That's wonderful. Will you actually put yourself in the hands of God by an act of obedience, by an act of surrender, or just shout, I believe. I believe, I believe, I believe God can use this church. God can use us to, to harvest people for the kingdom of God and change their destiny for all of eternity. I believe, I believe, I believe that God can use a, a little church in Bridgeport, West Virginia to raise up a generation of young men and young women that love God with all of their heart, more than they love this world, more than they love pleasure, more than they love themselves, they love Jesus. We believe, we believe. Do you believe enough to actually put yourself in the hands of God and make a commitment or just shout, I believe, I believe? Because it's one thing, it's one thing to say that you believe. It's another to actually act on those beliefs. So God, I'm in your hands. God, I, I, don't want, I don't want to just have lip service. I don't want to be chanting, I believe. God, I want you to have all of my heart. Take all of my heart, everything that I am. God, whatever would represent that you have me, if it involves writing a check, whatever you want, God, because I'm yours. I'm yours, and I'm not holding anything back. There is nothing off limits in my life because it's all yours. I am yours, God. And if I can represent that with a dollar amount, put whatever dollar amount you want. I don't, I'm yours, God. I'm yours. I'm, I'm not playing games. I'm not just singing songs and going through emotions. God, I, I give you my heart. I'm yours. I'm yours. So we're not just talking money. We're talking our hearts. We're talking honoring God. I want to take a moment this morning just to, just to take a few minutes and genuinely, genuinely, God, you have all of my heart to commit ourselves, just to take a few minutes in the presence of God to do business and let the Holy Spirit deal with your hearts. God, am I, am I, am I just a person that chants, I believe? Am I just rowdy when we sing the songs? Do you really have all of my, is there anything off limits? I, I want to be laid bare before you. I want to, I want to put myself in your hands. 
and trust you completely and not be somebody, when it, when it comes down to it, I break eye contact. I start motioning towards somebody else. Pick them. I'm yours. Do whatever you want to do with me. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.